Good morning, everybody. We're so glad to have you with us here at Cross Point Community Church this morning. As the rest of the worship team makes their way, I would invite you to go ahead and stand with us, and we're going to get right on into some worship this morning. And if I haven't talked to you this morning, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. It's a very special day in that regard. I'm very thankful for my mom, and unfortunately, I won't get to see her today because I'm working. But uh, I am thankful that all of you got to be here this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Come let us worship our King Come let us bow at His feet For He has done great things 
see what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes, for he has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. He's been faithful to us in everything as we sing this morning. You've been faithful through every storm, and you'll be faithful forevermore, for you have done great things. And I know you will do it again, for your promise is yes and amen, for you will do great things. God, you do great things. Oh heroes, oh hero of heaven, you conquered the grave, you freed every captive and break every chain, oh God, you have done great things, we dance in your freedom, awake and alive, oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. Sing hallelujah this morning, church. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. Yes, he has. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah. God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things, you've done great things, oh hero of heaven, you've conquered the grave, you freed every captive and break every chain, oh God, you have done great things, we dance in your freedom, awake and alive, oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things, God, you do great things, oh God, you do great things. God, some praise, church, for the greatness he's done in your life this morning. Hey, Amen. I'm going to invite you to have a seat for just one second. Again, I know we've already said welcome. Thank you so much for being at Cross Point Community Church. I just want to say that again uh, to you this morning. And just so happy that you're here on this Mother's Day. So happy to be able to celebrate the Lord this morning. And by doing that, also taking the time out to celebrate our moms this morning. So at the end of our service, we'll have a time where we'll uh, direct you uh, kind of over there to the fellowship hall. We'll have a small gift for you there. Also, there is a uh, 
place for us to take a picture, so please get a picture with mom uh, this morning, and uh, if you need a mom to kind of hang on to, I'm sure there will be some designated moms there uh, for you this morning to take a picture, but I want our moms, if you're a mother here this morning, would you mind doing us a favor? It should make everybody else stand, right, in honor of you, because you don't want to stand this morning, but if you don't mind standing up this morning, moms, so we can just see you. And we thank you. Amen. We're so thankful for moms. And I just want to pray while you're, while you're still standing. I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to pray for our time of worship. And then we'll continue to sing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these ladies who are standing this morning, Lord God. And we, we're thankful that they're standing. We're thankful that they're here this morning, that we can just not only pray for them and honor them, Lord God, for their beautiful sacrifice that they make each and every day and have made throughout the years, Lord God, for their children and for the protection and the love that they have uh, as mothers, Lord God. And we just thank you for them. We ask you to give them strength, give them, continue to give them wisdom as they continue to raise their children, their grandchildren, Lord, people that you have in their lives. And I just pray you continue to give them the encouragement that they need. I pray that not only we recognize them today, but we continue to honor them in our lives each and every day. I pray as a church, Lord God, that we continue to just have this great special place in our hearts and in our lives for, for the moms that are represented in our church. Many of these ladies do so much, Lord God, as far as just helping and encouraging really the strength and the backbone of our church. And we just thank you for that. And we thank you for these ladies in, in that special way this morning. We ask you to just continue to be with our service, Lord God, that you would get the honor and glory and praise through it all as we continue to sing and worship you. And you would open up our hearts this morning to your word. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to ask you to join our moms, and let's continue to worship this morning. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. And what looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. Because my story isn't over. My story's just begun Cause failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does No failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Just wanted my heart 
And the story isn't over If the story isn't good Failure's never final When the Father's in the room No, failure's never final When the Father's in the room shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore oh you're in the Father's house prodigals come home the helpless find hope love is on the move when the Father's in the
Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 is where we'll start. We'll bounce around just a little bit. chapter 9, I want to read one verse, and then we'll pray, and we'll get in and see what God has for us this morning. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. God, your word tells us where two more are gathered, there you are. And Lord, we just come humbly before your presence. God, with so much from this week, God, maybe so much from this morning, God, maybe so much from today, just bearing down on any one of us here today. Lord, we just come and just, we rest before your throne. God, we're so thankful for all you've given us, God. We're so thankful for your word. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity you give us to worship your name, to hang on every word that you speak to us today, Lord. We know that that comes directly from your revealed word. So God, I just pray that you speak to us in a mighty way. God, that as your word falls on us, as your spirit falls on us, God, that we would have but no choice but to fall to our knees in humility and acknowledge your glory and your might. We know you are great, you are mighty. God, speak to us in a huge way here today. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. And You know, it's uh, as we are kind of tackling this book of Proverbs, you know, it's like we started discussing last week. You know, this is such a, a, a huge part of what we do as parents, as mothers, as fathers, as grandparents, as people navigating the space that we live in, that, 
that what Solomon is writing to when he's writing to his family, when he's writing to his children, when there are other people later on in the book of Proverbs that contribute to this book of wisdom, that it's about communicating. Remember, we talked about that wisdom is the use of knowledge. It shows us how to use what we know, that just because we have a lot of knowledge in our brain does not make us wise, that wisdom is something that comes from outside of us. Right? Like, I can have a lot of knowledge and still be uh, a doofus. Like, I can still do a lot of really dumb things, even though I have a lot of knowledge in my mind. But God imparts on us wisdom that allows us to use the knowledge that we have for the way at which God intends for us to use it. And so I love how in this verse, and kind of a running theme through the book of Proverbs in verse 10, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. That wisdom, the impartation of that wisdom or the partaking of that wisdom can't even start unless there is a fear of the Lord there. And so remember when we talked about fear, this is not a fear, a trembling fear where we're afraid to approach God. But this is a fear that translates into a respect of who God is and awe of who God is and what God does. And remember we talked about this last week that in you know, and the bigger and the better and always looking for the newest and greatest thing in the world that we live in, sometimes we lose sight of God being awesome, right? Of God being mighty, right? I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, once the Internet came around, it's like everybody kind of saw everything. And so it's like every, like, establishment, every business, everything that happens, it's like trying to one-up the next thing, you know, I, I, always, I don't know, if, I mean, I'm kind of a nerd, but I don't know if y'all have seen like the newest Jurassic Park movies, like that was the whole concept behind that, it was like people weren't just entertained by like seeing dinosaurs anymore, it's like we had to see like this genetically engineered dinosaur, like we had to see like all, like it was, there had to be more and more because that's the nature of humanity, right, I mean it's, it's a movie, but it, it shows, reveals something to us about the nature of humanity, we're always looking for the newest and the best and the greatest of experience or, or what we partake in or what we eat, what we drink, what we have. You know, there's always something new. And then, but what I love, you know, is when Solomon would write in the book of Ecclesiastes is that there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing that can be provided to us in this lifetime by this world that's just going to rock our, or, you know, blow our minds and be like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever because we're always going to be looking for the next experience. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, the end of our desires, the end of our needs, the end of our motivations, we find nothing because we, we want the next thing. And so what the book of Proverbs is about, when, when God asked Solomon, what do you want? He said, I want wisdom. Why? Because Solomon understood that if I could have an ounce of wisdom, if I could have all the wisdom that God could impart to me, then I would truly find satisfaction. Because every single one of us are living this life kind of one desire, one need, one temptation, one thing at a time. Like we're just from one thing to the next trying to be comfortable, trying to be satisfied. And so Solomon... You know, he experiences the gamut of satisfaction. I mean, he, he has all the money, all the food, all the houses, all the women. I mean, he had over 300 wives. Like, he had everything, tried to cram as much experience into one life as he could. And at the end of it, what does he say? He says, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. He's like, I've had everything. I mean, really, if we're ever in this life where we feel like we have to have more, 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 and more, go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes about the man who literally had everything. And he says, it all is meaningless if it's separate from Jesus. He says, it's all meaningless. I can gain, I mean, and, and, and we even see this in the New Testament. Like, you know, you could gain the whole world but lose your soul and you have nothing. 
We could sell ourselves out to gain something that we think we need in this world to feel comfortable, to feel satisfied, to feel completed, to feel identified. And at the end, we'll feel empty. And so Solomon is writing, you know, last week we talked about kind of the call to wisdom as it kind of calls out in the midst of all the voices in our mind. You know, all the, the, the situations and the circumstances and the places that we're in. And what Solomon continues to write about leading into kind of chapter 10 kind of starts like the true like Proverbs as we know it, where it's kind of line by line. It's not like a full narrative. Well, this morning, I want to kind of lean into to, to Proverbs chapter 9 right before that and kind of jump back to chapter 7. Chapter 7, if you read chapter 7 yesterday, man, it is a challenging chapter of Proverbs. And it really kind of can hit home, I mean, to some places where we might be, you might be navigating in life today, where I've navigated in life at different points in my life. And so, you know, just to remind us that for us, Wisdom is not built into us. It is something that we need from outside of ourselves, and that's where God comes into the picture, is that God wants to impart on us this wisdom. And, and a lot of times through the book of Proverbs and really throughout the Bible and other points, you see wisdom and foolishness kind of played off of each other as counterparts, right, as opposite ends of the spectrum or folly, as we'll read this morning. Um, and so, you know, wisdom is that thing that leads to life. The Bible constantly kind of references back to that. And that without it, you know, we walk in kind of this, uh, this, this kind of aimless desert of death and destruction, really. And so if we wanted to define what it means to be a fool, or what it means to be foolishness or folly, because a lot of times if we feel like that's kind of removed from us, like, I mean, I'm not a fool. I mean, I may not be the smartest person in the world, but, like, I'm not a fool. Like, that just sounds so harsh, right? It sounds so heavy. But I don't know about you, but I have found myself being a fool after reading this and, and just other things in many points in my life. And maybe you find yourself there today too. But we would define a fool to, to be this. The fool is the person who is thoughtless, careless, conceited, self-sufficient, indifferent to God and His will, or who might even oppose and, and, and be resistant to any religious or wise instruction. So I don't know about you, but I've, I've been that. Maybe even at different points more recently in my life, I've been a fool where we find ourselves selfish, right? We find ourselves conceited. We find ourselves self-reliant, self-sufficient. Or maybe we've ever found, even found ourselves to be careless, you know, just doing things without putting much thought into it, saying things without putting much effort into it, or even thoughtless in a lot of ways. And so there's three things this morning, three ways of wisdom that I, I believe that Solomon is showing us here as we look into chapter 9 and jump back into chapter 7 to see some things. But so the question for us today is, what does wisdom want to give us? What does wisdom want to give us, and what do we find when we seek the way of wisdom? What do we find? And I believe we find three things this morning. The first thing is this, is we find wisdom's foundation. We find wisdom's foundation. In verse, in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9, what does it say? It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars, or, or, or built together, or reinforced her seven pillars. And so, why is that significant? You know, and I, and I love how the Bible uses this anthropomorphic language, this, this, this language where it attributes human characteristics to non-human things. But it, it speaks a lot, and you'll see wisdom spoken of as a her or as a she 
which, you know, if us men, we should recognize that on Mother's Day, where true wisdom really comes from, right? It's, it's our wives. But anyway, it, it, but it also calls folly a she and an adulteress too. But we won't get into that part. But, uh, you know, so it says wisdom has built her house and has hewn her seven pillars. And so there's something significant about that because it's revealing to us the foundation of wisdom and that the foundation of wisdom is strong. Because not only does it call it a house, but it calls it a house with pillars. And not only just one pillar or two pillars, but seven pillars. So it's kind of communicating this idea that wisdom, the wisdom of God, what God imparts to us to guide our knowledge, to guide our actions, is strong. It's well built. It's held together. It's not going to be this flimsy surface that we walk out on, right? It's not going to be that rickety bridge that you walk across to get to the other side of the creek that you think to yourself, yeah, I'm not going that way. But he tells us this is a house with uh, pillars that are built together, that are founded together. And so it represents two things. The first thing is strength and stability. That the wisdom that God imparts on us through his word gives to us wisdom and stability. But the second thing is this. Because, you know, numbers are significant in the Bible. And that number seven, the number seven throughout the Bible, it represents completion or perfection. And I think a lot of ways, that's what we're looking for in life. Like we're trying to find completion. We're trying to find perfection. Like we marry to find com- perfection and completion. Uh, we get certain jobs to find completion. Uh, we, 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 we live out certain lifestyles to find completion and perfection. Ultimately to not find it in those things. And what Solomon is saying is that wisdom, the wisdom that God gives us to lead our lives, to find fulfillment is found in what He gives to us in these seven pillars, this, this perfection, this completion can only be found here. And what also is unique is that these pillars are symbolic of the church, the church historically. You know, as flawed as the church has been through time, through history, it is the foundation at which everything we do is built off of. And we have to recognize that. That's why I say all the time, tradition is not always bad. It's whether we worship the, the tradition more than we worship the Savior that can get bad. But there's a lot of beautiful things in church history. Even as flawed as it is, it is the pillars at which everything we do is built on. It's the pillars at which hold all of this together. Galatians 2.9, it talks about this. It says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. This is Paul talking to Barnabas and me. That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So what we see here is Paul's talking about this foundation that is built on, first off, the perception of the grace of God and that that perception of the grace of God gave them the ability to have fellowship with me. And because of that fellowship that they had with Paul and with Barnabas, it allowed ministry to begin to grow from there. That is what the foundation or the pillars of the church do for us. It reveals to us the grace of God. It gives us the ability to have fellowship with the people of God. And it gives us the motivation to step out and do the ministry of God. That's what the foundations of the church are about and what it does. And there's that beauty in church history. And so what's the other part? You're going to see me kind of bounce back and forth a little bit because I want to compare and contrast wisdom and folly. And so and when we talk about folly, we can also think of it in a sense of, of our sin. The things that we kind of cling to that are drawing us away from God, that are sinful, that are in rebellion to what God has called us to, or what God intends for us to do. And so what's the counter end of it? 
What is folly like? What is folly foundation like? Let's read it verse 13. We see folly, the introduction of the, the kind of the way of folly. It says, the woman folly is loud, she is seductive, and she knows nothing. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a house built with pillars and stability and strength, right? It says, folly is loud. It is seductive and it knows nothing. And I think there's something very unique about that when we think about the state of our sin. Is it's, it catches our attention, right? That's what it says. Folly is loud. If you hear something loud, if somebody in the back just yelled something random out, what would we all do? We'd all look, right? We want to know what's going on. You know, you moms with kids, if you heard a kid scream, what you're going to do? You're going to look and make sure it's not yours. This, 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 this loudness kind of communicates this idea of drawing attention. That's what our sin does, right? It draws attention to itself, you know, in, in any aspect. Whether it's selfishness or sexuality or whatever it might be, it draws attention to itself. That's what our sin and folly does. The second thing is this, is it says that she's seductive. Man, I don't know about you, but I know the sin in my life. Man, it, it, it's good at drawing me to it. Man, you, you want this, right? You, you want to have this experience. You want to feel this way. You want to see things this way. You want this high. You want this experience. This is what you want. That's what foolishness or our sin does, is it not only draws attention to itself and brings our minds and our eyes. I don't know about you, but, but my mind can be very wicked sometimes. And that's where sin begins. It begins in our minds. It begins to kind of show us things and make us think things and tries to kind of distort our view of what God wants for me and how He sees me. And so that's what sin does is it draws attention to itself and then it begins to convince us that we want it. We, you want this. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to find fulfillment in this. You're going to find value in this. Come on. That's what our sin does. But then ultimately, what is the last thing it says? Is that folly knows nothing. That at the end of the day, when we've pursued the foundation of folly, it says at the end of it, it really doesn't have anything for you. It's just made a lot of noise, right? It's just been real flashy and been like, hey, look at me. Look at me. Like, come this way. I've got all this great stuff only to pull the curtain back and be like, I really don't have what I told you I had. But hey, keep coming back. It's going to be a great show. That's what our sin does to us. It draws our attention, it seduces us, and then it eventually reveals to us it has nothing. The difference between that and wisdom is wisdom is not only the strong foundation it's built off of, but wisdom works. Wisdom is working. Wisdom is not sitting still. Wisdom is not stagnant. Wisdom is not complacent. But wisdom is always growing and learning and moving within us. And how do we know that? Moving down, you see a lot of language that's kind of action language. In verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 1, you see that she built her house. In the second half of verse 1, she hewn her seven pillars. She slaughtered her beast, mixed her wine, set her table, sent out her young women to call. You know, there's, there's all this action language that's there. And then the other end of it with a folly. In verse 14, it says she sits at the door and she takes a seat. That's the difference between what God offers for us and what the sin of the world that is drawing us in offers to us is that wisdom is working for us. 
Wisdom is working on our behalf to try to build us up, to try to reveal to us the direction and the things at which she should go. And so that wisdom, the wisdom of God, looks into the life of a young Christian or an old Christian and says, hey, listen, we're constantly growing. I'm constantly revealing. I'm constantly working. And what does it say about folly? What does it say about our sin? Our sin is sitting. It's sitting at the door. It is saying, come to me. Come to me. I got what you need. Where the wisdom of God comes to where we are. And it builds. And it works. And it moves. And it reveals. And it provides. That's what the wisdom of God does. Is it wisdom is always working for you. Wisdom does not leave you. The wisdom of God does not leave us behind. The wisdom of God does not abandon us. And the wisdom of God meets us exactly where we are to reveal to us the truth of what He has for us. The second thing is this, not only wisdom's foundation, but we also see this, wisdom's provision. Wisdom's provision in verse 2. It says, She has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, and she has also set the table. In verse 5, Come and eat of my bread, drink of my wine. We see a lot of weight to provision revealed in preparation. There's this work being done. That that's what wisdom wants to do. That wisdom has substance for us. That wisdom has something to give us. Wisdom, the wisdom of God wants to provide us the mental capacity and the, 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 the spiritual discernment for, for our students to be able to step into the lives that they live in their day to day and be able to make good decisions according to that which, which God calls them to. Wants the, the wisdom of God wants to speak to the fathers here today and wants to show us how to lead our families, how to push away sinful things that are drawing us away and that are making us lesser uh, leaders and, and lesser figures of an example of, of men in our households. That it is leaning into the, the lives of, of the mothers this morning, showing us how to, how, showing you how to lead your families, how to be present in the lives of your husband, how to be present in the lives of your, of your kids. It's leaning in the lives of every single one of us here as we lean into the space of influence that we live in day after day after day of people that desperately need what God has given us for us to give it back to them. This is what the wisdom of God does is it gives the provision that we need. And I love how it says it sets her table. There's this meal presented with care, with intentionality, offering substance. There is a fullness being offered here rather than simply a rush of an experience. And that's the counter end. When we look at sin, when we look at folly, when we look at foolishness, in verse 17, what does it say? She says, and I love how, how the sin and how wisdom, they have the same intro. Both of them say the exact same thing. One in, uh, in, in verse 4 and one in verse 16. It says, Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says. But they have different offerings. They have different things to give. You know, we talked about the provision that wisdom gives. A slaughtered beast Mixed wine, a table set before you. All these things, this fullness that is promised. And what does folly say? What does our sin tell us? It says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What is it offering? It's offering an experience. It's offering a feeling. And I don't know about you, and we've talked about this before, but our feelings are a poor God to worship. 
Our feelings are a very poor motivator to allow to lead our lives because our feelings change. Our feelings change depending on the environment around us. We've said this all the time. Our feelings are like the thermometer that gauges the temperature of the environment around us where the joy or the wisdom of God is the thermostat. It controls the environment. It controls how things go. It controls how things are. But folly and sin and foolishness Man, those things are only navigated, they're only driven by feeling. They're driven by experience. You know, in, in reality, I mean, you think about the sin that you've partaken in in your life. You think about the sin that maybe even it draws towards you even today. You know, maybe, whether it's self, some type of selfishness, some type of pride, some type of sexual sin, you know, uh, some type of, uh, of substance abuse, like whatever it is that we're, we're grabbing after to try to find satisfaction and joy and fulfillment in. Man, all those things are based around an experience, like a momentary experience. And, and what our sin tells us is the exact same thing that the, the folly says here stolen water. You know, it's like this rush of like something I'm not supposed to have that I want it because I get this rush of the experience of it. You know, I mean, I mean, I can just think back to my life as a high schooler. Like, like this is, I feel like this is what drove me. It was like, I just want the, the feeling. I just want the experience. I don't understand it. I don't see any longevity to it, but it's like we just live right here in this moment to try to like grasp at some sense of like control. Some sense of an experience. So, you know, and it says stolen water is sweet. You know, getting something you're not supposed to have, man, it just tastes so good. And that is the foundation of sin in our life. You know, I mean, isn't that what the serpent said to Adam and Eve in the beginning? Like, man, did God really tell you you couldn't have that? Maybe he's trying to keep something from you. That's the basis of sin, is, is this convincing us that if I'm not supposed to have it, it must be great. And that God must be withholding something from me. Instead, where God communicates to us that, no, 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 I'm withholding this from you because I want to direct you towards something greater. I want to keep you from being the drunkard because I have a greater life experience for you. I want to, I want to keep you from being the adulterer or the adulteress because I have a greater experience of a sexual relationship for you. I have greater things for you on this side. It's not because God's withholding anything. It's because God's trying to direct us to greater experiences, to the more abundant life, to the more sustaining, satisfying experience of life. That's what God is directing us towards. He's directing us towards something greater. And then, the, you know, so where God offers us the slaughtered beast, where God offers us the mixed wine, the table of comfort to sit at and enjoy, what does folly say? Look, I have stolen water and I have bread for you. <laughs> right? Like, this is what I have. I just, I just ran to the store real quick to grab a couple things. That's what our sin offers us. It, 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 it's empty. It's unsatisfying. It's something we have to come back to, come back to, come back to, because it's not ours. He says it's stolen. And that's the way sin works too, is that anything that sin gives us that we find any momentary satisfaction in, it's a perversion of the true goodness that God has for us. Because that's what the enemy does. The enemy does not have anything that is of his own. Right? There is no sin that we partake in that is unique to the enemy. Any sin that we're partaking in is because the enemy's stolen something from God and he's perverted it to make it a momentary satisfaction. Where God has the, the eternal sustaining satisfaction here, 
The enemy convinces us that there's a momentary satisfaction here that's greater than this, right? I mean, that's what he does in the life of a husband and a wife. He comes in. God created marriage to be this eternal experience of joy and satisfaction and love and, 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 and relationship and all those things. And hey, you can have an even better experience here with other people, other things, emotionally, physically, whatever it might be. He says, I have other things for you here. That's what sin does. He perverts the goodness of God and he turns it into something that tricks us. This stolen, stolen water. This bread eaten in secret, right? It's like it just it tastes so good, but it's just bread, right? I mean, it, it, it's just flavorless water and flavorless bread. But man, God offers, he says, a slaughtered beast, the best. He says, I offer you mixed wine. I offer you the best. You know, and, and I love this. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily encourage you to use this as a consistent Bible reading tool, but for uh, study's sake, it, it, it had an interesting take. The message version of the Bible said this verse like this, verse 17, or, or kind of further down. It says, are you confused about life? Are you confused about life? says, and don't know what's going on, steal off me. I'll show you a good time. No one will ever know, and I'll give you the time of your life. That's what sin says to us. I'll give you the time of your life. I'll give you the greatest experience you've ever had. When ultimately, it's just the enemy playing off of our inner desires, the emptiness of it. Augustine, uh, old, old church father, said this, says, when Augustine described how he stole fruit from the pear tree, he says that he did not do it because he was hungry, as he threw away most of the fruit, but for the mere pleasure of sin as sin. He says he did it just to break God's law. That's what's built into us. What's built into us because of our sin nature, because of our first father in Adam, we just want to break God's law. And ultimately, breaking God's law, uh, Jeremiah talks about this. It says that is people hewing out empty cisterns to collect water for themselves. Like, we're not trusting in God. We want to trust in our own ability to decide what we, what we need, what's good for me. God doesn't know what's good for me. I know what's good for me. That's what folly, that's what sin tells us. God doesn't know what's good for you. I have what's good for you. And so not only do we see wisdom's foundation and wisdom's provision, but the last thing is this that we see the difference in wisdom's invitation. Wisdom's invitation. In verse 3, it says that she sent out her young women to call. This is talking about wisdom. In verse 6, to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here and leave your simple ways and live. And live. Church, wisdom's invitation it's to turn. And remember, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, when we're accepting what God has for us and what He's trying to tell us, there's always going to be this sense of repentance. Right? When we talk about repentance, repentance is a turning. Repentance is a turning away from something else. And listen, repentance isn't a one-time thing, and we talk about this all the time. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is a day-to-day -day activity that you and I participate in. When I choose, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to turn from this the emptiness of folly, and I'm going to turn towards the wisdom and the love and the grace and the mercy of God to guide me. Not my feelings in folly, but in my, my sustaining in my Savior. 
And so there's this turning where it says, but I love how it says here that wisdom sends out. It goes out towards. And what does it invite us to? It invites us to live. It invites us to live and not only to live, but God invites us to live life and to have insight to know how we should live. Because I don't know about you, but I know for me as a father, I need insight. I don't know what I'm doing. I tell my boys that all the time. I literally have no clue what I'm doing. I tell my firstborn all the time, like, dude, you are the guinea pig. I am figuring it out with you. I hope by my fourth I will have it figured out. But I may not. We're doing our best. You know, like that's, that's the process we're navigating towards. We're, we're trying to figure this out. And so I'm constantly going back to God. God, give me insight. Show me how to lead. Show me how to love. Show me how to, to provide. Show me how to direct. You know, but then the other end of it is this, with folly, what sin invites us into. The invitation's the same. It sounds the same. And that's the thing about sin and folly and foolishness, is, it, is it's packaged the same way, in a lot of ways, externally, kind of surfacely, as what God presents to us. You know, because a lot of our, our, our day-to-day is very, we live by what we experience and what we see what we hear the tangible things that we touch and feel and eat and breathe and you know that's how we live life and so i think surfacely that's how god and sin and folly kind of present themselves in this very tangible very kind of visual way kind of disconnected from the spiritual sense of it but then as we get down into it as we grow in it as we dwell on it we begin to see the sustenance of it. And so that's what folly it presents to us. It says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Kind of the surface level experience. But then the meat of it says in verse 18, but he does not know. But he does not know. And not only that, he does not know what? That the dead are there. That the dead are there. And that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Or Sheol being this place of separation this Sheol being this place of, of, of destruction, Sheol being this place of eternal uh, removal from the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And so he's telling us that on the surface, these things are presented in a lot of ways to be the same type of experience, but in the depths of what they really are, in the depths of who God is, in the depths of what God offers, in one, he invites us to live and have insight, to live and to be active and to move and to... to, to guide our families and to guide people around us and to be learning, to be constantly learning, whereas the other end of it, the foolishness, the, the foolishness, the sin, all these things, it says at the depth of it, in the midst of it, what they don't know is that there are dead people there. You know, and maybe we've heard this another time, you know, later on in the New Testament when it's talking about the religious, the empty religious people just doing religion for religion's sake. It says that they are like whitewashed tombs that are filled with dead man's bones. That there's not life there. That the folly, that the sin that we're being driven by, the feelings that are guiding us. It says that there is nothing but death there. This emptiness. The invitation feels the same, but the results are different. One offers life and one leads to death and separation and emptiness. I love this in verse 11. Solomon says, talking about God, he says, For by me, God speaking, by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. And listen, there's very practical things to this. Because if we think about it in a sense of substance abuse, Drugs, alcohol, those type of things. What do they do to us? They rob you of life. 
You know how many, you know, the saddest thing, some of the saddest things I've ever experienced working in hospice work is sitting at the bedside of 30, 40-year-olds who are in heart failure because of drug abuse. Because those things, they tear up our bodies. They tear up our bodies physically. And then the, on the other end of it, when we're talking about folly and sin, if we're giving ourselves over to sexual sins, what do those things do? I mean, they can have repercussions on our body, but also they can have repercussions on the mind. They can, they can destroy the mind, whether it's actual physical sexual experiences or whether it's pornography. All these things, they, they distort the mind. They destroy the mind in a way that you can't look at people and things the same way. And it robs life from us. It robs experience from us. It robs days from us. Listen, you know, we we have to be reminded that the people in our lives, husbands and wives and parents, that the people in our lives, our kids, they need us to give us the days. You know, it's a sad day if sexual sin, if substances, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, if it robs days from us. If we get to the point where we lose track of the days of the week or the experiences we have, days are numbered. What does the Bible tell us? Number your days. Days are important. Count them. Hold them tightly. Don't waste a single day of leading, of loving, of experience with our families. And if the, the, the alcohol we drink, if the drugs we take, if the sexual experiences we chase after are robbing days from our families, from our lives, from the, the, the living that we do, then it's destroying us. And that is not what God's called us to. God is calling us away from those experiences. He's calling us away anything that robs us of days, anything that we wake up the next morning and say, I can't remember what I did yesterday. That is not the place we need to be because our days are vital. Our days are important. Our days are, 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 are precious. The people around us need the days that we give. At work, at home, the days are important. God says that in Him, He multiplies the days. He multiplies those things. He gives us more experience, more of those things. And so what is the difference? And I just want to kind of skim through this really quick. But what is the difference? You know, we, well, what is, how does sin work? How does sin work in our lives? And I think this is the place. You know, a lot of times we want to say, well, we just want to talk about the love of God, the encouragement of God, all these things. But listen, we can't see clearly the light of God unless it's shown on the backdrop of the darkness of sin. Right? We've got to see the darkness of sin to appreciate the light of who God is and what God does in our life. And so how does sin work in our lives? And this is how we have to evaluate. You know, uh, Proverbs chapter 7, it speaks of an adulteress, and it speaks of things in a very sexual way. But uh, in a lot of ways, you can relate it not only to that and the sexual sin that we're drawn into, but also any lust of the flesh, because lust is just the flesh's desire for something. It doesn't have to only be sexual. It could be other things, too. And so... You know, maybe you wouldn't say you specifically have this temptation, but maybe you have other temptations. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's something. The Bible tells us whatever rules us is sin. If we have something in our life that we've allowed in our life and it rules us, it dictates how we act. It dictates our schedule. It dictates when we can go and do things with my family. It dictates uh, when I go to work. It dictates uh, how I treat people. It dictates when I go to church. If it controls us, it's sin. And it's feeding into the lust of the flesh in some way. And so how does sin work? How does sin work in our lives? How does, it, how does it navigate? Well, the thing we need to understand about sin, you know, and, and, and kind of coming down, and I'll read in chapter 7, verse 6 through 9. It says, For at the window of my house 
I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen some among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, talking about folly, near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening at the night and darkness. Listen, this is a challenging chapter of Proverbs, and I encourage you to read it again afterwards because I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But the thing we need to understand about our sin and the temptations that draw us in is you know where they live. You know where they're at, right? If your temptation is a substance, if your, if your temptation is your phone, if your temptation is the TV, if your temptation is a person, you know where it is. We all know. There's no, I mean, don't, let's not, let's not be silly with ourselves. If you have sin in your life right now, as I do, I have ripple effects from sin from, from my teenage years that still affect me today. I tell my kids that all the time. Be careful what you do and what you expose your heart and your mind to because those things will ripple through your entire life. You know where those things live. We know where sin lives. What should we do? We've got to avoid them. You know, the Bible even goes so far into the New Testament. It says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I'm not telling you to pluck out eyes and cut off hands. Because, you know, the, the real problem isn't what's around us. The real problem is what's in here. We need God to fix that. It doesn't matter. We can get rid of every phone, every, 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 every internet, every TV. We can get rid of all those things. And if we want to sin, we're going to find a way to sin. The problem is not what's around us, right? The problem's here. You know, that's what you hear people like harp really hard on dress code and all those things. It's like, listen, man, you're not going to be able to control what's here. You can drive down the street and see something on a billboard that's going to spark a temptation. It's not about what's out here. It's about what's in here. You can't change What's out here? Out here is going to be sinful. It's going to be foolishness and folly. It just is. Guys, you're going to be tempted. You can't change and manipulate what's around you. We've got to start with what's in here. We've got to seek the wisdom of God to mold our hearts and change us because that's what's going to help us. And so not only do we know where sin lives, but we also have to understand what sin does to us. A sin makes us feel special, right? And so how do we know that? In verse 13 of chapter 7, it says that she's loud and wayward and her feet do not stay at home. And she comes to the street. She comes to the market. Does that sound familiar? We talked about that's where wisdom comes and meets us too. Sometimes sin chases after us where we are. She's in the market, in the street, on every corner. What does it say in verse 13? It says, she seizes him and kisses him with a bold face, confidence. And she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. Uh-oh, almost like a little kind of facade of religion, right? I had to offer sacrifices. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I have found you. Man, our sin can make us feel so special and so satisfied, and so important. That's how the enemy works. That's how he draws us into foolishness, is he makes us, convinces us of something special. That, that, that it's all about us. It's all about, I came to meet you. And not only that, in verse 16, he says, I have spread my couch with coverings colored in linens from Egyptian, uh, covered, uh, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, all these expenses, right? I've poured out all this expense on you because I love you, I want you, I need this. Alloys and cinnamon. And it says, come to, and let us take our fill of love. And that's the, the last thing here is that sin seems safe and fulfilling. What does she say? She says, she says my husband, he's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's not going to be around. Like it's a safe place. Nobody's going to know. You know, man, I, we can have our fill. We can have this great experience. That's what sin does to us. 
Sin offers us a safe place to find fulfillment. It convinces us that it's there. And so how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this? And then I'm going to be done, guys. Worship team can come up, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time and just sing and just celebrate God a little bit to this morning. But how do we avoid this? Well, if we jump back to 7, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, they say this. Solomon's writing to his son. Solomon says, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend keep you from, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. The Father's instruction is to keep His teaching, the teachings of God, close. Write them. Bind them on your finger. Write them on your heart. Even to the point He says, call wisdom your sister. Call it somebody that you care about, that you love. Bring it in close to you. This is what we have to do with what God offers us. If we let the things of God slip away from us, if we, you know, and we've heard this a lot before, if we, if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. And so if we're not holding on to what God has for us, holding on to what He wants to give us, and we begin to let loose of those things, that's why the Bible talks about holding fast, standing firm, because if we begin to loosen our grip of what God has given us and what He has for us, other things are going to start to fill that void. And we're going to begin to hold on to it. And you know what? Over time more and more time goes by and we hold those things closer and closer and closer. And listen, the closer we get folly to our chest, the closer and the tighter we hold it, the more comfortable we we get with it and then we convince ourselves that I can't live without it. This is how addiction begins. Addiction begins with a vacancy. Addiction begins with open hands. I'll, I'll take anything. I'll take anything to give me happiness. I'll take anything to give me value. I'll take anything to give me importance. It's open hands. We, we find that thing, we just begin to grab it, we hold it, and we begin to draw it into ourselves closer and closer and closer until we get to this point right here. Oh, I know it may not be good for me, but it sure is comfortable to be right here. I know it may not be exactly what I need, but man, it feels so good to have this right here, and I'm afraid of what life will be like if I let it go. So God tells us, tells us to bind His Word, bind His wisdom, bind His truths to our hearts, to our hands. Get it as close to ourselves as we can. Wisdom begins, church. Wisdom begins with a right relationship with God. With a right relationship with God. And how does that go in verse in, in chapter 7? As he kind of shifts gears, he says, And now, O sons, listen to me. He says, this is how we combat the foolishness and the folly that comes around us. The first thing is looking to God and remembering His Word. In verse 24, he says, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Be attentive. Know what God has said. Know what God is doing. Know what God has for you. Listen, and that is the thing that we have to understand as Christians. You know what the, the, the kind of the, the, the work of our life needs to be is this constant reminder of the gospel every single day. This constant reminder of the gospel because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Understanding who He is, a knowledge, an insight of what God has done, of what God is doing. Be reminded. Preach the gospel to yourself. Wake up in the morning. Preach the gospel to yourself. Jesus Christ died for my sins so that I can live in Him forever. That it doesn't matter where I've been or what I've done, that Christ has forgiven me. That any shame I had, He's nailed to the cross. Any guilt I had, He's stripped away. And He's clothed me in His righteousness. 
to live. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day because it will help you to live and to seek after his wisdom. The second thing is this in verse 25, looking within to keep our hearts focused on God's truth and evaluation of our hearts. In verse 25, he says, Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. Church, we have got to be aware of our weaknesses. We've got to be aware of the propensity of our hearts to draw us away to sin, to draw us away to temptation. Let's be honest with ourselves. Listen, that's a lot of times I feel like the fault sometimes in churches is that we don't want to be honest about where we struggle. And so then we got to hide it. And so then in, in we kind of treat it as if that, that, you know, that rabid animal that we keep locked up in a cage in our basement or in the backyard. It's like it's there. I'm feeding it. I'm taking care of it. If we let it loose, it would probably just maul and destroy everybody. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep it here. I don't know. There's something about it. Or I'm going to pretend like it's not there. Listen, a lot of us, we have pet sins that kind of keeping around. You know, it's like that family dog that's, that's sick, right? That's, you know, I, my, my parents just recently in the last couple years, they had a dog that died and poor thing had like this external tumor growing off of her chest that was like dragging the ground. I was like, listen, we've got to send that thing to dog Jesus. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's done. It's, it's suffering, you know, but we, we hang on to it because we find comfort and love and compassion, you know, in these situations. But we have sin like that, that, we, that we're, we're, we're not pretending like it's a big deal, right? It's like, I mean, it's here, and I kind of feed it every once in a while, but I mean, it's not a big deal. Like, I can control it. Like, I can keep it on a leash. There's no sin. There's no sin that we can keep, keep held down. It's going to find its way out. It's going to find its way. And if we leave it around long enough, it's like a pet sin that's a lion, right? It's like when they're a cub, when it's small, it's, it's, it's tameable. But listen, that sin's going to grow, and it's going to get to a point where it devours us. It destroys us. It separates us from everything we love and hold dear. So evaluate our hearts. And the last thing is this, verse 26 and 27, to look ahead to the consequences of sin, to be honest about where our sin could lead. And 26 says, for, for many a victim... She has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. I mean, that is some deep, heavy stuff. But that's what sin does. We've got to be honest about it. We've got to be real about it. As uncomfortable as it is to acknowledge, to be honest maybe with someone about it, to be real. You know, and the thing about it is, is that, that this isn't always like a, a, a one-size-fits-all. Because there are certain things that one person on the side of the room can kind of enter into that the other side of the room the person can't. But that's where we're honest with ourselves. Listen, one person on one side of the room can go out to dinner, have a glass of wine with their husband or wife, and be totally fine. The person on the other side of the room, they go out to dinner, have one glass of wine, turns into two glasses of wine, turns into three, four beers, turns into a, a whiskey sour, turns, and then it just goes out of control. And so, it, unfortunately, we feel like, well, why can that person do that thing? Why can that person go to that place, but I can't? Why can that person put themselves in situations, but I can't? Because it all starts with, let's be honest with our hearts. Let's be honest where we are. Let's be honest with what draws us to sin. Let's be honest with what convinces us to take part in lesser things. Let's evaluate our hearts. Let's be honest with ourselves. And let's acknowledge the true wisdom true satisfaction, true joy come from 
God himself through Jesus Christ. And that's, that's where it starts. So church, if you would, stand with me this morning. And we're going to pray. And then we're going to worship this ever-present, worthy God that we serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that when I'm searching for the truth, when I'm reaching for the reality of life and trying to know how to live and how to walk and how to move in this world, Father God, you offer me the way. God, you reveal to me the direction. God, but it all begins with being honest, being honest with my heart, being honest with the effects of the sin in my life, being honest with the direction that you'd have me to go. Lord, challenge us today. Lord, challenge us that if we've navigated and, and been drawn into to the house of, of folly and of sin, if we've been tempted into her space, into that space, Father God, I pray this morning that we would know that you are faithful and just to forgive. God, and not only that, but just like your word tells us in Proverbs 9, that you have prepared a feast for us, you have prepared a table for us before you. That in you, God, there is nothing that this world offers us that matches you. There's no experience of life. There's no experience of relationships that can be experienced to their fullest separate from you. God, let us see you. Let us hear from you. Let us be drawn into you in a mighty way. And God, where we need to be forgiven, Lord, I pray that we would be honest and ask for forgiveness in this moment as we worship you and praise you. God, we love you. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Church, sing with us.
we give the Lord a hand this morning? I think the only announcement that I have for us is for before we give the final instructions for this morning is for next Sunday is our graduation recognition service, uh, our time that we'll have uh, next week for our graduates. We have three of them that are graduating uh, here locally at De Quincey, and so we want to make sure that we recognize these three ladies next week, and so we'll have some more information going out this week. Anything special that I need to announce on that right now, Betty? Um, my wife should be making some communication with the yeah. moms. If you just get that information back to us. Appreciate it just so we can make that time special and serve and love on, on our seniors. So. Absolutely. So that's next Sunday. That's for our graduation time. And so uh, be praying for, for those three. And also just look for those instructions. We're, we're excited about being able to celebrate uh, those three young ladies next next Sunday. Uh, also, so and then as we dismiss this morning, I'm going to ask that when we leave that we would go through the fellowship hall. And uh, that's where our, besides the smaller nursery kids, they're still in their classroom. All the other kids, believe it or not, that, that wall didn't come down right now, but they're in the fellowship hall. And so your children's church and younger children's church kids, Rainwater Girls, they're with us too, but they're, they're all right there. And so we're going to go in there. Uh, moms, I'm going to ask that you would go. Uh, there's a table set up kind of in the, when you walk into the back left, uh, there is a small gift for you there. And so please go and take that gift. And then there's also a place for you uh, to have a picture taken. And so we want you to be able to take that time and we'll fill up that fellowship hall in, for a few minutes and have a picture taken, have that gift and being able to dismiss from there. Okay. So I want to pray for us one last time. And if you, uh, if you have any additional questions about what I just said or even about the graduation stuff next week, you can see Jeremy Stratton right after service. So, uh, all right, let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for all that you're doing. Thank you for allowing us, especially in the last few weeks, Lord God, just a great time of worship. Uh, not only just the group that's been here over the last couple weeks, Lord God, just really well attended. But with that, Lord God, we look not only to encourage each other when we're here, but also to encourage each other when we're not here as well. And I pray, Lord God, that we would uh, seek each other out, that we would love on each other, and that we continue to just be the people that you would want us to be, Lord God. Even in our failures and our faults, Lord God, that you would be so gracious to us to still look to others and encourage others, Lord God. And I pray that today would be a day that we continue to encourage moms and just thank, thankful so much for them. As I heard from the kids this morning, Lord God, it was about just the care and the love that their moms show them. And I pray, Lord God, that we can see that example, celebrate that example this morning, and also carry that out uh, to this lost and dying world this week. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.